Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Comvita is a publicly listed Manuka Honey specialist, the OG of Manuka Honey, if you like. It's For a moment, it was a share market darling peaking in 2015, that lovely peak. But since then, it's languished a little as it's posted losses and had a stockpile of product that it couldn't shift. Enter David Banfield in late 2019, I think December 2019, so really 2020. Yeah, I actually yeah. started in 2020. Okay, so. all right, there we go. Uh, well, a spectacular financial result in February signals perhaps a reversal in fortunes. With successes in China and the USA, uh, and uh, the company has boasted, uh, posted excuse me, record sales and profitability. Uh, it's also written a bold sustainability plan called Harmony, promising to be a climate and sustainability leader. Uh, I said before, Convita is one to watch, and geez. I might actually be right for, for a change. Uh, how about that? So thanks for joining me, David. Tanakwe, uh, Vincent. Good to be here. Great. Look, I can't, when I look at this result, which we'll delve into in a minute, but uh, two things happened when you arrived. You turned up and and then COVID hit. Yeah. Uh, wh- which is responsible for this turnaround? <laughs> oh, look, I mean, it was, an, it was an extraordinary time we've been through, clearly. Um, I remember my... My second day in the company, what I wanted to do was uh, evidence to the whole company that actually we win and lose in market. So I flew to China on my second day. Um, that second day was the 21st of January 2020. And that was the day, as I was there with the team in China, that Wuhan closed. Wow. So so firsthand, I could feel, I could actually feel the... Uh, the shock in the room because it was a couple of days before Chinese New Year and a number of the team were actually going back to Wuhan mm. and then all of a sudden that was taken away from them. Mm. So the next uh, few months were were clearly um, uh, bizarre, extraordinary, um, but uh, ultimately we had to move quickly to make sure we were in the best place to win. Why did you go to China first? Why was that your very first thing? China's our biggest single market. Um, China's a, a, a country that personally I love. You know, the, I've uh, I've been there for over twenty odd years, and um, it's, so it's a country I know very well. It's a country with um, deep rooted cultural use of honey. So I wanted to make sure that the team felt that I recognised that and got to meet some of the key people very early on. So it sounds like, and looking, let's get into these results, some some really uh, great figures. Um, record EBITDA of um, 13.4 million, uh, that's up 11%. Record revenue of 112 million. Um, is that gross revenue? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So gross revenue is up 7%. Um, and and a real turnaround in China and the USA. USA up twenty percent. Fantastic. China up nine percent. So, what was it about uh, in-market performance that was, I'm going to say, easy to turn around? Because <laughs> that's only two and a half years ago um, that we we're talking. Well, actually, I guess it's three years ago. But what was it about market access that unlocked that potential for you? Where Convita's model is different to anyone else is that we've got 13 subsidiaries around the world and we've got incredibly talented people on the ground in market. One of my observations was that 
we used to do a lot of telling for those people of how we should act and what we should do. Um, but the only point in having a subsidiary model is having highly capable, empowered people. So what we did was we really put consumer in market at the center of all of our thinking. And then alongside that, put the right team alongside that in market and try to support them from New Zealand and give them the tools that they needed to win. And you know, ultimately, we've 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 seen lots of uh, really positive results. We're growing share around the world, um, but we've still got a huge way to go as well. Mm. And I think um, I think we recognise that. But with the right talent, you know, and it goes an awful long way. Just l- without spending too long on the detail, but what would be an example of the kind of change that a local team would implement that previously they had perhaps not had the freedom to do? I think. If you take uh, one of the big events in China would be CIIE, so it's a so it's a um, international export ex- uh, exhibition, and um, that uh, exhibition is a window to the world from China, inviting people to come. And our execution there is just world class. You know, we we connect consumers to the healing power of nature um, and we share why Convita is the market leader that it is. The, I, unfortunately, on a, on a podcast, we can't share the images of that. But, but I think it says an awful lot when, you know, People's Daily had... Uh, interview from um, from our from us uh, on the front page, mm-hmm. um, and it was used as a backdrop for the opening address for that as an event. So, so actually, you know, the local team really recognised that and made sure that we turned up in the right way. And you know, that's pretty uh, um, good for the soul, really. So often you hear local. Uh, uh, expressions here of, of international firms in New Zealand being frustrated at the slowness of their headquarters weird in the USA or Singapore or whatever. This yeah. is the reverse, right? So Absolutely. they were complaining about head office in, in Tauranga. Yeah, but, but I think just philosophically, what we have to come to is that point that says the only point in having a subsidiary model is that you have talented people ready to act in market. And mm. if you haven't got that and they're not bringing the pace from the market back to us, then we've got something wrong. Um, mm. You know, it creates its own challenges, um, but uh, but those are challenges that the team have really lent into and challenges that we love. Mm. What are people buying when they see Convita? What's the promise that you're making to them that resonates so well? Ultimately, I think it's about natural wellness. You know, the, the world... There's been an increasing movement across the world to recognise that um, nature has uh, the answers to a lot of the world's problems. Um, and when organ- when people look at Convita, what they see is an incredible founding story. They see a company that in many respects was way ahead of its time and um, has grounded itself in not just commercial activity and quality of product and all of those things, but actually with the aim to be a better company that that does have a positive impact on the world. And, you know, that's what we're trying to share with consumers as we go. We'll, we'll get into some of that because it's very interesting. The Harmony Plan really uh, kind of lays the foundations for that. But I, I guess I'm thinking about the consumer. What is the... They're typically not going to be delving into 
your climate policies and your ESG stance, or maybe they are. Um, yeah. You know, what is what's to what extent uh, do your efforts in sustainability translate to consumer sales? Well, I, I absolutely believe they do. I think it's one that uh, maybe maybe people don't quite. Uh, um, understand just how progressive if you if you take Chinese consumers and particularly young Chinese consumers, how progressive their views are about sustainability, the environment, nature, and people people miss that at times. So so actually, in many respects, they're more demanding than um, even Western markets. And you know, I've just come back from uh, Shanghai, which is my first time in three and a bit years of being mm-hmm. there so about 1100 days since I was last there and the expression of confidence the expression of what they expect from brands that are winning um, was really fascinating to see and it was an overt expression as well mm. you know so so I I, I think that's um, give me a for instance is the American oh, saying there's yeah look there's um, there's a couple of um, uh, of Actually, there's, a, there's an industry, you know, there's a coffee market that's grown up in China, which is obviously a traditionally tea market. Um, and there are a couple of local coffee brands that are challenging uh, with statements about uh, the type of person that you want to be and the type of impact that you have. And, you know, and actually you've got young consumers walking around with these statements about, you know, about you know, thinking bigger and better, mm. but, but with the emphasis on better. So, mm. so I think it's uh, it's that's the sort of thing that's great to be able to see firsthand. You know, while you're there. Well, so the product has good promises uh, and credible promises about its health effects and it's you know, delicious and you um, and and so on. And you have a mixture of cosmetics and as well as food, right? Um, but then as they click on the QR code or they follow a link, they start to discover this depth of commitment to sustainability within. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like, I suppose, for a committed consumer, you, it's sort of a, a growing pyramid of information that they're interested in, right? Um, yeah. My hands are making a pyramid <laughs> shape at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think that, you know, we we sort of have different classifications for consumers based on the number of interactions and the number of purchases they make. And once you have that really deep relationship and they see things like, you know, if we think about um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where, you know, we're planting, um, you know, millions of trees a year and rewilding parts of, uh, of New Zealand, then, then people see that, you know, our ambition in terms of becoming carbon neutral and net positive 2030 is there with real substance behind it. So, so those elements are, are really um, important for us. Mm-hmm. And I think on top of that, you know, when you take something like we're in the middle of um, applying for B Corp uh, um, recognition, or and. Um, you know, that's, a, again, an external expression of our ambition, not just to win from a market share and revenue and profit point of view, but to be a company that cares about uh, planet and people broadly as well. Let's talk about the Harmony Plan, because all those things are captured in that plan. When was that written? So it was written in 2020. So so back in, in 2020, when we first came together, there were sort of two or three elements. So commercially, 
you know, our strategic plan that we shared was all about focus around bees, bee products and, and products of the hive. The Harmony plan really captured our intent to leave the world in a better place. And it started with us as uh, kaitiaki or guardians for bees and, and really a, a mandate around uh, creating um, conditions for bees that helped bees thrive. Um, you know, that's captured more recently in a bee welfare code that we have internally and all our apiary teams uh, sign up for. And it's pertinent this month. We we run uh, a bee month in May, so it's World Bee Day later this month. There's always a day. There is. There? <laughs> there is. I always think Bee Day. You have to be careful how you say it. But um, <laughs> um, but um, but this year in the states, we'll be saving something like forty million bees, and these are bees that have swarmed. And normally, people see a swarm of bees and they call the exterminator and they they kill them. Whereas we've got. Um, a number, quite a significant number of beekeepers across the US who will actually come and rescue the hive, put it in a safe place for the hive then to thrive. So, sort of, so that's one area. The next place are these uh, uh, Manuka forests that we're creating. And the thing about these forests, the scale of them is is mind blowing, really. So, so our biggest would be about currently about. 1,300 hectares, something like that. Mm. Um, and these are, uh, are places that we plant with manuka and other species from uh, from scratch. Um, and they create the most incredible environment, obviously for bees, but, but ultimately it goes on to waterways and other flora and fauna thrive there. And, you know, in one of them we've just found... Um, multiple pairs of breeding kiwi, so we're able to then create an environment where kiwi can thrive in those. And and, and also we've just done a, a biodiversity uh, project there um, and to look at the broader impacts of our forests on biodiversity, and we're seeing some incredible results with where, that as where well. Where are these forests, David? All in the all in the North Island, but, um, but <coughs> sort of in the central North Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but look, I think there are... I think they're an incredible example. Yeah, you know, we we don't cut them down. You know, we've got productive forests that are 40, 50 years old. So so it's an enduring legacy that mm. we create. Mm. And one of the things for us as a as a as a business, you know, we're making decisions now with a sort of 40, 50 year plus horizon. And ultimately, I think that's something that we can be proud about mm. uh, mm. the impact that we have. Those um, forests that you're planting, do they have to be exclusively manuka? Um, no, so we, we plant manuka, but but manuka as a as a species was always a founding species, so it creates an envelope for other um, other plants, flora and fauna to to thrive. So so we have lots of different um, different um, plants that thrive in those forests, and mm-hmm. you know so. Again, we were conscious from day one. We didn't want a monoculture uh, that would have its own challenges. And, and that's, again, why we do things like biodiversity uh, um, studies to make sure that the impact is broad and beneficial. Mm. Um, doesn't, just a, a, a technical question, I suppose, but what proportion of uh, manuka sourced um, pollen do you have to have for it to qualify as manuka honey? Oh, so, so the different stands. So, mono, monofloral 
um, is is predominantly is, is uh, a monofloral source. So that's pure manuka. Right. So, so that so would have to be a hundred percent. Not quite, but but you know yeah. it, it's predominant. Um, and um, yeah, and then we have other grades that sit underneath that. <clears throat> how does how do you tell <laughs> tell the bees to focus just on manuka because that's some. Um, Presumably quite tricky. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Bees have evolved over thousands of years, and um, you know they they go to certain nectar sources. But but ultimately, we know when manuka is flowering. So we have hives in the forest uh-huh. at the right time right. for the for the uh, for the predominant nectar source at that time to be manuka. Those biodiversity audits or studies that you're doing, who does those? How do they work? Well, the last one was a, a PhD student, um, and we're going to um, we're going to do some more as well. And they look at everything from, as I say, um, roadways to water quality to invertebrate uh, life in the in the forests, but but a broad spectrum really to make sure. And, and it's from outside the company again, yeah. just to make sure that we are having the impact that we. I believe we are. Do, do you have targets around those, or is at the moment just kind of auditing and understanding what you've got? Yeah, we're, we're developing those as we go. You know, it's relatively new. If you think we only planted our first forests back in 2017, we've accelerated that planting right now. We, we've currently got about 6,000 hectares uh, in total, which is which is still pretty sizable. Um, but, you know, our intent is to get to 20,000 hectares by uh, 2030, and you know the the science and our understanding will evolve all the time as we go forward. So you know it's it's definitely a journey. Mm. Other things in that harmony plan are pretty interesting. The um, the carbon positivity. Do you want to just t- talk about your your carbon journey? Yeah. Again, one of the things for us, we we obviously, if you take things like the um, Paris Climate Accord, you know. The world needs to deal with the issue of uh, carbon dioxide, and you know we have a significant opportunity ourselves. Obviously, we get sequestration from forests, so so that that's a significant part of uh, the the benefit that you get with mm. Convita. That you know carbon stocks, so the amount of CO two currently about fifty six and a half thousand tons from our own forests. But, but we can track that out to 2030, so we can see how that grows over a period of time. Mm. So, so sequestration or offsetting is a part of it, but, but also what sits within that is having science-based targets to reduce your impact as mm. you go through things like um, sustainable packaging, actually reuse of product, and just looking at the whole value chain and making mm-hmm. sure we remove waste as we go. Have, have you looked at your scope three impacts yeah. as well? Yeah. So so in um, our annual report last year was the first time we had scope one, two, and three globally. So, um, so you, we can look at our gross emissions, we can look at sequestration, um, and then we can look at our net carbon footprint, which for us is just over 26,000 tonnes. And then obviously we have a plan to uh, offset to some degree and reduce through our activity uh-huh. uh, to, to zero. And that's, that's what we're in the middle <clears> of doing. Thank goodness you don't have to deal with methane. You've just got, <laughs> yeah. You've yeah, just yeah. got what, um, factories, transport, yeah. packaging. Yeah, when you've got, you know, 
our total team's about um, just under 560 around the world. So if you think 13 subsidiaries, so they create their own carbon mm. footprint. Moving product around the world is uh, is one of those areas that we focus heavily on. Mm. So, so again, actually the hardest thing, and the team have done an incredible job, is getting data. Uh, even today, you'd think that lots of organizations have the right data mm. about the impact or the, the carbon impact of their operations, but it's really tough. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But you would presumably use something like a Toy2 or um, another agency to do that measuring, do you? We, we have it audited separately, so a lot of it's internal. Um, and, you know, and I think that's, again, part of, uh, part of the work that we're doing. But, mm-hmm. but Deloitte actually um, audited you know, our scope one, two, three this right. last year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a key part that it's, uh, it's there to be challenged, but there to be robust in terms of the, the measurement. Uh, there was something in the Harmony Plan which really stuck with me, and that was the 100% Fano ownership. So yeah. that sounds like a plan to delist. Oh, no, no. What that, what that said was this is back to a stakeholder view of the world rather than a shareholder view of the world. And, you know, we believe that um, all stakeholders are as important as each other, mm-hmm. and we have to take the views of all stakeholders. So a key stakeholder is clearly our team. And we also think, though, that if our team are shareholders, then they start to think and act in the best interests of the organization as a whole, but also shareholders. So so in 2022, with the delivery of the result, uh, we enabled the whole team, oh, it's 91% of the team globally to become shareholders. Okay, through an ESOP uh, employee share scheme. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. And, and, um, and what th- impact does that have, David? Oh, look, I think that connection to our purpose, to the difference that we make, and, and it shows it's not a one-way street. I hope it shows it's not a one-way street that, um, you know, in at our um, annual shareholder meeting, you know, our shareholders uh, voted in favour of changing our constitution so that actually the the importance of a whole stakeholder view of the world uh, um, probably changed from just a shareholder uh, focus. And we became the first listed company at that time to change our constitution to reflect that and enshrine it in mm. the way we operate. Which has been a long journey and we've there's always been lots of talk, particularly around ESG, about thinking in terms of stakeholders as opposed to shareholders. But you you think this is now becoming part of your behaviour, but also some of your, what, in, written into, into what kind of documents? Would, well, would so, so the most... The most important for us is our constitution. So that, uh, so our company constitution, which says who we are, how we operate, and our license to be. So actually, the the change that came from that shareholder vote was for the constitution to change to say that we had to consider the impact for all stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I, I it's a proud day personally that uh, you know I've had some interesting conversations um, with, uh, you know, along the way. But to actually get our shareholders to say, look, we buy into this broader stakeholder view, I think is, is a really pivotal moment for us in the long term. Is there a connection in your mind between the Harmony Plan and the financial 
performance? I think not. it's not as overt as it should be, but I think increasingly it will be. You know, there's, there's global change happening. And with that global change, there's sort of a base stake to get into the certain markets around the world will be to to be a corporate organization that operates, as I say, with its broader impact in mind. So, you know, there are clearly, there's clearly quite a long way to go in New Zealand, particularly in terms of how people value that broader view. But but around the world, it's here, it's here to stay, Mm -hmm. and it will only become more important. So, so I think in that respect, we're ahead of ahead of the game. You could have got the financial return that you've that we've talked about earlier by doing your your market access kind of behaviours yeah. um, without the emphasis on sustainability and um, and stakeholder interaction or engagement. But what you're saying is, in in the end, those two things are going to be uh, aligned. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you can't. You can't run a company without that kind of stakeholder framework anymore? No, absolutely. I mean, from a listed perspective, clearly there's a whole load of new legislation yeah. coming about that we have to report on. But but that's a, that's a compliance reporting. Mm. This is actually bigger than that because, as I say, I think consumers, uh, particularly uh, our type of consumers, want to be able to see that we are doing what we say we're doing. Mm. Um, and... They're choosing brands not just because of their products, but but also their their um, bigger impact on society, environment, um, and all stakeholders. Again, and you know, again, it's one of the things that makes me incredibly proud <laughs> with uh, with Convita that we do. I mean, we're doing some amazing things around the world, and you know, I hope that all our consumers are as proud as we are. Yeah. It does make me think that, and I'm going to say something that will probably either make you want to kick me under the table or laugh, <laughs> but um, you, com, if, if Convita can't do it, nobody can, right? You've got, you've got a, a health-based product that kind of does no harm. If you eat lots of honey, it's not going to kill you, is it? Um, it comes from a, a resource that is... Uh, we need if, if we had more manuka forests in New Zealand, we would we wouldn't be doing any harm. Um, it, it's in a space that um, the globe wants more natural products. Um, there's no methane. There's barely any fossil fuels involved. What, what a dream assignment for you, but also um, possibly easy compared <laughs> to another kind of no. agricultural product. I apologise for kicking you. Oh, yeah. but, um, <laughs> look, I, I definitely wouldn't say it's easy, but I do think that the combination is really uh, um, compelling and is definitely in front of us. You know, as you say, if you think about who we are, you think about our purpose. You know, working in harmony with bees and nature in New Zealand to heal and protect the world. You know. Bees and nature together mm. is an incredibly powerful uh, source uh, and force. Um, the fact that we've decided to plant forests that give the highest quality ingredient or resource for bees, uh, I think, is is a, it's an investment. 
but it's a, a really vital long-term strategic investment. And as you say, the benefits of those are, are sort of multiplicative. But, um, you know, I still think it's sort of that long-term commitment that the board have made to say, you know, we're committed to this uh, course of action. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as I say, look, our job now is to make sure we connect consumers to, uh, to that. What could other um, horticultural or agricultural business, primary sector businesses, learn from what you're doing? And are there ways that you could integrate, for instance, um, with other landowners? Are there manuka forests that could be planted on and grown on sheep and beef farms or even dairy farms? Look, we 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 would just want anyone to reach out to us. You know that actually one of the things that is central to us is this principle of partnership. So so we're learning so much as we go. As mm. I say, we only started planting these forests, the first test uh, forests back in two thousand seventeen. So so we're only a relatively short way into the journey. In our case, it's a little bit different because it. We're also planting cultivars that we've developed ourselves. So, mm-hmm. so there's a whole there's a whole separate raft of um, of things that we've learned about the the trees that we're planting. But but ultimately, you know, we we do want to share the journey that we're on. And you know, anyone who who wants to pick our brain can help us. Then we just encourage them right. to reach out and. And let's let's see where the paths come together. I mean, there's so much effort going on, particularly in sheep and beef, of protecting stands of native forests, um, uh, using erosion-prone parts of farms to restore nature. At the moment, a lot of that's unrewarded in the sense of it's financially not rewarded, but it's the right thing to do. And farmers are, are motivated, right? Are, are there ways that you could... I don't know. Uh, are, are there honey sources in those little pockets that are being developed? Oh, look, definitely. I think there's a there's a there's the opportunity for this mixed use land model, which you know clearly the most fertile, mm. uh, easy, ex- easily accessible sites would be best for some of the traditional uh, industries that you talk about there. Mm. But there's a whole raft of land that sits alongside it where. Manuka, um, as a as a species, uh, is perfect to grow in. So, so you know, again, for us to be able to look at the combination of those things, I think is it, you know is is a, an incredible opportunity. And as I say, at the end of it all, you know, we're not cutting down those forests at a particular point in time. So mm. it's an enduring benefit mm-hmm. that you get as long as they're looked after and as long as, you know, we create an, envi- an environment that's good for bees. And there's so few commercialisation opportunities for New Zealand native forests, and yet we know how critical they are for the world. Um, if there were ways of commercialising and incentivising landowners to be planting more, that would be that would be a great outcome, wouldn't it? Oh, look, it definitely would. I mean... One of one of the things, uh, this is a pure financial part, but but if you look at carbon credits, so the value of carbon that you sequest from your forests, there's not a way for companies to to really value that on their own balance sheet at the moment. You know, we we know 
the spot rate, we know treasury rates. So we can say these are this is carbon sequestration from our forests into the future. And you know, using those rates, we can create a theoretical value. Uh-huh. But, but actually, at a certain point, if you create an actual value, then I think it will encourage that. So, so that's something mm. that uh, you know, we are in conversations with to try and make sure that there's an incentive as well. So, so you, you could be an issuer of credits and, and yeah. net issuer of credits in excess of the, what you need for your own offsetting. Yeah, we definitely will be. You know, so, so if I look now... You know, we know how our sequestration will grow yeah. over the next years, out to 2030. Uh, and we know from an offsetting point of view, it's sort of 2025, 2026, where we're fully offset. Mm. So so then any residual that's left, that's the value. And you know, some information we shared, we shared at our first stakeholder day last week, if you put if you valued that 2030 uh, carbon, um, it'd be worth about $10 million uh, on the Treasury uh, quoted numbers mm-hmm. today, whereas in our books today it's worth zero. Oh, okay, so you can't put that on your balance sheet at the moment. No. Right, no. I want future potential. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, let, let's just talk about you. Um, your, your journey to get to this point has been traditional in the sense that you've been a, you're a business guy, you've been a CEO of different organisations. Um, it has coming to Convita in any way change the way you think about the world or uh, yeah, tell, tell me about your own journey into sustainability um, Look it hasn't really changed the way I think about the world I think you know we did our so when I was in the UK you know we did our first uh, carbon footprint uh, exercise back in late 90s so when I ran a business in the UK so I've always believed in the importance of thinking about the impact of the operations that you have um, in some businesses it's uh, it's more difficult than others you know if I think about my last business in New Zealand which was Methven you know when you're creating showers and taps mm. uh, you know there's there's some pretty uh, onerous processes that sit within that, something like chroming as an example. But but still, if you've got that belief that ultimately we have to get to a balanced position to be able to protect the world, then, you know, as I say, it's been central to my personal philosophy. I think what I've seen in Convita, though, is, is just really tangible it's 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 huge mm. in terms of the long-term impact that we can have and you you think today globally household penetration of manuka is about uh less than one percent yeah one percent of households use so i see an incredible opportunity to grow that and if you think about do you mean beyond honey no uh, no okay. so okay. so yeah. just you know actually today um, we have one market with a household penetration of about three and a half percent. So we know three and a half percent is possible. So we can we know we can therefore treble, quadruple the size of our, our business if we get some things right. But but I look at if we realise the true potential and let's say treble, quadruple the organisation. You think about the positive impacts through forests, through our teams, through thriving communities. Yeah. And 
There's there's a wonderful example in our last year's annual report. Um, we have the a forested place called um, Blue Sky, and there where we think about which country Blue Sky here. Oh, here, so okay. it's a yep. forest here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, you know um, Jason and Cherie, who are our partners there. You know, um, we think about uh, rural New Zealand and re-establishing communities because the site becomes so big that we then have resident beekeepers in the site. So mm. so consequently, the opportunity then becomes we have our incredible forests, and as I say, that support biodiversity in its broadest sense, but we also bring people back to some of these remote communities mm. and, and and we become central to the community. So, so again, it's sort of... I told it's you, it's the <laughs> dream business, David. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you must have really landed yeah, on it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there are so many, there are very few businesses where doing more and more is good for the planet. Um, in Methvin, I have Methvin taps, love Perfect. Methvin. But a quadrillion more Methvin taps does not help the world. It helps the, the shareholders of Methvin. Um five times, seven, ten times growth of Manuka forests, it's really hard to see a downside. Yeah. I mean, eventually yeah. everything becomes a poison at, at certain concentrations, but it's, it is hard to see the downside in your growth as a business. Look, I, th- I think in terms of our impact, you know, Manuka is a, uh, um, a natural species. So, so actually, you know, you, you're right that... The only thing we've got to do is make sure that we continue to grow mm. global demand so that that does become a virtuous circle. And, you know, that, that's that been a key part of our transformation. You know, back in 2019, our gross margin was about 40%, something like that. And it didn't allow us to reinvest to tell the story of, uh, of Manuka. So, whereas now our gross margins are around 60%. So it's a high gross margin, mm. but it's a high reinvestment model that allows us to say to consumers, this is why Convita uh, Manuka should be part of your life mm. and go across multiple product categories, all bees and, and bee product related, to, to extend the use and, and realize that true potential. And by creating that demand, obviously, we then come back to needing supply to meet that demand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Could you be a little bit like a Zespri where you've got this cultivar, you've got the science, the genetics around uh, what kind of manuka you need to plant and how to manage forests and so on, and export that IP so that you've got forests in Australia and the United States and Italy and wherever Zespri grows their stuff? And, um, no, look, we we see uh, we see those forests as being indigenous to Aotearoa, New Zealand, and um, the only place that we we see for growing those forests is here. And I think again, that's a unique part of our story that we can process in different places, but but ultimately you have to come back to the. Um, to the place where mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. trees are indigenous. And, you know, it's a key part of the the work that's ongoing to protect manuka and the use of manuka um, as uh, a Tawonga species from New Zealand. Um, well, let's not even go down the IP <laughs> route because that's, that's super interesting too. Yeah. Um, look, I really appreciate your time. Um, we would love to have you back on the show. Thanks for Perfect. coming. 
Oh, look, it's been great to, great to uh, uh, share the morning. And look, sorry for kicking you under the table at that <laughs> point. I probably deserved it. <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us.